We are born free. And we will die free. The time in between, though, that's complicated. In that time, governments, institutions, and our egos will limit our ability to find true freedom in this life. These are real stories of real people overcoming the odds, persevering in justice, and unlocking their potential. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Here's your host, John Oderman. All right, we are live with Dr. James Thorpe. This is an interview that uh, we've been working on for a while on uh, making it work with uh, with our schedules and really excited uh, to have him here uh, to talk about, uh, I mean, the most important topic that we really have today, which of course is coronavirus, but a subset of that being uh, the vaccines and the vaccine mandates and the lack of vaccine testing. And uh, Dr. Thorpe has really put his whole career uh, on the line to uh, to speak out against the vaccine. Uh, a little bit of background on him, but he can go more in-depth himself. Uh, Dr. James Thorpe, he is an OBGYN maternal fetal medicine specialist in Gulf Breeze, Florida. And uh, today, like I said, we're going to be talking about Really, the censorship of this, you know, uh, the, the counter to the uh, the vaccine narrative that we hear in the mainstream media. So, Doctor Thorpe, welcome to Finding Freedom. John, thank you so much for having me on your platform. Uh, it's a pleasure to visit with you, and uh, it feels great to finally make this connection happen. Absolutely, and uh, let's let's start out. Before we get into really the main topics of today, um, you know, I think it's good for you to, to give the, my audience some, some background on yourself, uh, talk about your career, your experience, your accomplishments, so they can have an idea of who you are. Sure. Well, I've been doing obstetrics for about 42 plus years now, uh, John, and I'm, I'm an older guy. I'm 68 years old, and I graduated from medical school in 1979, um, went to medical school with my brother up at Wayne State University in Detroit. I uh, had a scholarship with the Air Force, and they actually helped me through medical school. And so I did serve some time with the Air Force after my training as a general obstetrician and gynecologist. So I did take that officer's oath. um, And I am um, true and blue um, military and strong supporter of the military. I took my officer's oath that I'll take to the grave, even though I haven't been active duty in a while. So um, I am board certified in obstetrics and gynecology. And I did um, also have an OB um, subspecialty um, board certification in maternal fetal medicine. And basically, for for your viewers, what that means, John, is I focus primarily on high-risk pregnancy and on the fetus in the womb. I've spent my entire career really advocating for the fetus, um, the life of the fetus. I'm very pro-life, and I'm not ashamed to announce that uh, and to proclaim that in the midst of... uh, most of my colleagues as maternal fetal medicine doctors and as OBGYN doctors are extraordinarily uh, pro-abortion, which I, which I oppose. Um, 
I treat the fetus as a patient. And to that end, uh, the Bush administration in 2003 tried to find a maternal fetal medicine specialist to overturn partial birth abortion in 2003. And it was hard to find any of us um, that would be willing to do that because it was kind of a career killer, um, so to speak, very unpopular thing to do in my specialty and subspecialty. But uh, I was proud to do that. And we, we did um, the whole team uh, and, and President Bush, um, Senator Sam Brownback, Senator John McCain, um, that partial birth abortion was overturned in 2003, latter end of 2003. Um, unfortunately, it was reinstated by subsequent administrations. But I, I am an advocate for the fetus. I've treated fetuses um, inside the womb uh, my entire career. And um, I feel like that's what God purposed me to do. So um, I'm currently involved in practice. Um, I, I have the privilege of practicing from my home office in Gulf Breeze, Florida. And I'll leave my employer out of it because I don't necessarily uh, want to um, share opinions that are not their opinions. But I see six to 7,000 high-risk pregnancies a year. I, I've seen a lot. There's not a lot I haven't seen. I became uh, extraordinarily concerned about this charade oh, over two years ago. Hey, we're going to take a real quick minute here. I want to tell you guys about a really cool service. It's for expats. It's for location independent and international entrepreneurs seeking financial freedom. It's really for anybody concerned about their privacy, which honestly in today's world, it should be everybody. Now, if you remember back on episode 308, uh, titled Living Virtually in South Dakota with Dallas, the Privacy Postmaster, during that episode, Dallas told us about um, his service called privacypost.io. Now, what is privacypost.io? It is a privacy by default virtual mail and business center. Now, the services that are included are virtual mail, a professional business address, privacy trust services, company formation, Portugal D7 residency, and virtual domicile in the privacy respecting an income tax-free state of South Dakota. Now, privacypost.io protects you from third parties, overreaching government agencies, and complicit cloud platforms invading your private personal and business information. Privacy is freedom of association, expression, commerce, and mobility. PrivacyPost.io is your partner in freedom. Go to PrivacyPost.io for more information and make sure to tell them that you heard about them on Finding Freedom. Let's uh, sort of put some parameters on that. Um, when when most of us, I mean, I'm speaking from my own sort of viewpoint here, really, when, you know, Donald Trump's presidency, you hear about this Operation Warp Speed this vaccine being rushed through and sort of just a, a fog and a cloud of, you know, the trials. There wasn't a lot of, you know, uh, transparency into what was happening. 
And then all of a sudden, it was a day or two after uh, Biden beat him in the election, they say, oh, by the way, this vaccine has been has been approved or given emergency use approval. So at, at what point in time during that, when all of those trials were going on, did you start to say, hey, w- wait a minute here, this this is this isn't right? Yeah, um, when when they began talking about the vaccine, well, well, first of all, you know as well as I do, you've probably read um, you've probably read Dr. Bragan's book, and you've Dr. Peter Bragan, and you've probably read uh, um, RFK's book. So I, I think you know full well since uh, 2010 that there's been a an undeniable, irrefutable trail, paper trail, and patents that document that this was a planned event and its vaccine was planned. Um, That's irrefutable at this point in time. But I I didn't really know that things started looking not right until late 2019, uh, 2020, and when this leaked out, and then when they began talking about a vaccination and Operation Warp Speed, um, I became extraordinarily concerned because I think you and all your viewers know that a vaccination takes 10 years to develop. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a standard vaccination. That's not a uh, this high-tech lipid nanoparticle mRNA uh, or, or DNA vaccination. This really scared me to death and I couldn't believe that it was happening. In September of 2020, I I became so furious and concerned um, that I used my skills, my statistical skills, my ability to plan clinical studies and I designed my own randomized controlled prospective trial. It was very in-depth analytics and statistics And I put forward a clinical trial and um, published it, and I sent it to then-President Donald Trump. I also sent it to Bill Gates and also to uh, Fauci. And I told them that unless they did this clinical trial, a randomized, double-blinded, placebo-controlled trial, that I would oppose the vaccination for the rest of my life on every platform that I could. And the only way that I would ever support the vaccination was if they undertook the trial that I proposed. It was- So what were the main differences between the trial that you proposed and the trials that occurred? The trials that occurred were worthless, totally worthless. What I proposed was, um, I when you plan a trial, you start out with a premise and a a hypothesis. So I wanted to prove or disprove the hypothesis that the vaccine would be associated with a five-fold increase in death rates from one in 10,000 to five in 10,000 over 10-year period. So the trial could not be unblinded or completed for 10 years. Mm -hmm. Um, And I proposed that because I knew fully well that people were going to die. Not, I didn't think they would die immediately. I thought that they would die of chronic autoimmune diseases and exacerbation of chronic diseases over 10 years. 
Okay, so it took would take in order to have the statistical power, it would take about 35,000 patients in each arm of the study. One would get placebo and the other one would get the real vaccine. Um, now, boy, was I dead wrong, John. Had we done that study um, almost a year ago, at least six months ago, an interim analysis could have been done by a third party, not by the people doing the study, and it would have shown, um, you know, I was so dead wrong. I said a five-fold increase in death over 10 years. Boy, was I wrong. There was a 25-fold increase in death over six months. And had that study been accomplished, that I proposed and published, an interim analysis last summer would have shown unequivocally that it was killing people. They purposefully didn't do that type of study because they knew what the results would be. The same reason why they are purposefully ignoring a legislated, the only pharmacovigilance tool that we've had for the last 32 years, that's the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, VAERS. Mm-hmm. And of course, Pfizer they blew up their study. They, everyone who got the placebo ended up getting the vaccine. So we, we can't even look back at, at any of the, any of the data. That's exactly right. And, and as you know, with the FOIA request, uh, there's some very, very damning. Um, and, you know, John, to your point, this really does have a horrible resemblance to a RICO violation a fraudulent conspiracy. Because when when you look at the intermingling of Pfizer with the editor-in-chief of the New England Journal mm-hmm. that was brought out by the uh, BMJ, the British Medical Journal, Paul D. Thacker, um, in mid-November, pointed out horrible, I mean, allegations of f- fraud and unblinding and mishandling of data um, unblinding that is an absolute no-no, absolute no-no, shifting of patients. This is published in one of the most uh, well-respected uh, medical journals in the world, the British Medical Journal, BMJ. That was Paul D. Thacker, mid-November, just uh, a month or so ago. And John added to that, I, I give the British Medical Journal so much credit. Their editor, um, there's a Dr. Fiona Godley, and she just came out with another editorial. And for the BMJ to publish this um, just last week is stunning. Um, and she makes some horrible allegations. You know, she talks about this uh, ridiculous uh, conspiracy with Tamiflu and, and how Tamiflu was so blatantly faked and how the va- the uh, industry, pharmaceutical industries made billions on that joke of a drug that everybody pushed for flu. It was just a joke. It was, it was. I don't, I don't know anything about Tamiflu. So is Tamiflu is a fake, a fake drug or what, what's the story Tamiflu there? Tamiflu was a, a drug marketed, oh gosh, probably 15 years ago. And, and basically they did data manipulation it really didn't have an impact whatsoever. And they made it in essence standard of care in the United States of America. 
But, you know, Dr. Uh, Godley made a, a, a very, very important point on that. But, you know, the more things change, the more they say the stay the same. Um, this, you know, you go back to Galileo, you know, Galileo, um, he opposed the narrative of his time, the science narrative, and he committed blasphemy. You know, he said, hey, the, the earth uh, revolves around the sun. Mm-hmm. It's a heliocentric. It's heliocentric. It's not geocentric. Well, he was imprisoned and, and, and you know, on and on and on in every generation, you know, we go, even you go up to in my one of the reasons my heroes it was a was a um, I, I believe he was uh, from Poland or Czechoslovakia. Um, his name was Ignaz Philip Semmelweis, and you know Ignaz Philip Semmelweis was the father of, of clinical trials. And in the mid 1800s, John, uh, almost half of the women that walked in, healthy women, to have a baby at Vienna, lying in hospital, uh, left in the morgue because they had no idea that the doctors were going from the from the morgue and doing dissections mm-hmm. um, and postmortems, and then go up and deliver babies, and they'd infect the babies and uh, Ignaz Philip Semmelweis, uh, um, just my one of my heroes, um, and and he was the first one that said, "Hey, wash your hands with this soap solution that called lye, lye solution, alkaline solution. It kills the, uh, it'll kill the organisms, and and you'll save lives." And he proved it. But yet the arrogant aristocracy, I'll call them the ABOG, the American Board of OBGYN uh, aristocrats who, who uh, push their narrative and put gag orders on me and on every other physician in the United States of America. Um, and, and the ABOG, like people of Ignaz Philip Semmelweis, mocked and derided him, and he died a, a, a tortured man um, because he opposed the narrative. You know, fast forward even into the 90s, you know, in the early 90s, I, I was reprimanded uh, because I refused to give narcotics um, to pregnant women and to women who um, uh, uh, to women who who had just a normal vaginal delivery, I, I would refuse to do it, and I got called on the carpet and I got reprimanded formally, and and I told the um, the administrators that reprimanded me at the time that they had no idea what they were doing and quit putting these smiley faces all over the patient's room. You're training a whole generation of nurses and physicians to make drug addicts out of our patients. Mm-hmm. And now you go to 2010. I, I said, you know, have no idea of the unintended consequences of what you're doing. And you're going to be held accountable for it. Well, fast forward, you know, 10, 20 years later in 2010, I'd be taking care of patients here in the panhandle. They pregnant women, they'd come in on 20 to 30 lower tabs a day, addicted. I mean, a massive number of them, you know, the opioid crisis. It's the care providers that cause that by that stupid smiley face that all these jackass administrators put up in the hospital rooms and said, you know, doctors, you know, this is what you have to do. You have to turn this smiley face. You have to turn this pain face into a smiley face that does, you know, doesn't, we don't care how much narcotics administrators who, by the way, they, they, on these medical boards, they're not doctors. They don't, they don't see patients. You know, Fauci, he's not a doctor. When's the last, has he ever seen a patient? 
he doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, so, you know, these administrators on these boards, they don't, you, you don't micromanage a physician like me that sees six or 7,000 patients a year or any other physician or nurse in this country. You don't micromanage them from a boardroom. That's the wrong way to practice medicine. You don't practice medicine from a cookbook. I'm going to ask you two questions, and you can kind of answer them how you want to. They're they're, they're kind of tied together. So you, you cited before the 25-fold increase in deaths due to the vaccine. Um, curious to get some background on which which data you're citing, if that's um, all-cause mortality or where that's coming from, and then just your personal experience. What have you seen? Um, with your patients for, you know, vaccine injury? To answer your first question, where, where do I get the 25-fold increase? Right straight from CDC and FDA. If you look at uh, their slides and their data uh, last summer and um, visualize this um, on the vertical axis, you have every single vaccine that's ever been followed by VAERS, and there's a massive number of them. Mm -hmm. um, you line up their deaths per million. It doesn't matter what the denominator is. And then you make a bar graph uh, on the horizontal axis um, so that the bars are running sideways. So, you know, you'll see little teeny bars um, over here for every single other vaccine. And then for the first six months, the bar goes all the way out here over a 25-fold risk of death, straight from the CDC data. Uh, the, the vaccine is uh, a poison. It's killing people. Uh, it's killed a lot of people. We, we have broken all the rules of medicine. Uh, every single rule of medicine we've broken, the pharmacovigilance tool of VAERS We've always taken a vaccine off the market if there's been 25 deaths or 50 deaths. Voila, it's gone. Listen, John, there, there were, there were uh, 2,500 deaths in just a month after the vaccine was initiated. Um, so we've broken every rule, and it's, it's actually illegal and fraudulent to not take a legislated pharmacovigilance tool like VAERS. It's always been a thermometer, a safety guide for vaccines, and we've completely ignored it. And it's uh, always been severely undercounted, correct? I mean, ba based on previous, oh, yeah. you know, previous years, previous vaccines. Absolutely. It's, it only captures only 1% to 5%. Uh, um, some say only 1% of the actual deaths and injuries. So if you use like Dr. Jessica Rose uses a, she calls it the URF, U-R-F, underreporting factor. Um, I, would, I would make a uh, strong statement that the URF for COVID-19 vaccination, which is really the death jab or an experimental gene concoction at best, it's not a vaccine, is probably 100. It's at least 100 because, you know, you go to websites like real, not rare, real dot 
realnotrare.com and you'll see hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of vaccine damaged patients. They're horribly, I mean, I cry when I look at that. It's, it's horrible. And what the mainstream media has done to them is thrown them under the bus. The CDC has thrown them under the bus. They are innocent victims that look to us for truth and safety and they were permanently damaged. And you know, a physician or a patient is supposed to be able to call in a complication from a vaccination. Look at all these people's testimonies. Not a one of them has the CDC ever gotten back. And and it that's really, really bad. Not one of these vaccine injured individuals has, um, or if there are any, they're extremely few would be acknowledged by the CDC. Heck, John. Is, is, that, is that normal? Would the CDC in previous years with previous vaccines, would they you know review and- Absolutely. Yes. Investigate and review? Absolutely mm-hmm. they would. Um, you know, when I, in, in, in 1976, I was a young pup. Um, my brother and I were in medical school. Remember the swine flu and, and we yeah. vaccinated 90 million Americans. There were 25 deaths. 25 deaths, it was ripped off the market. There was public horror. There was outrage from the mainstream media and the CDC and the hospitals and the patients. Fast forward to the rotavirus vaccine just at the turn of the century in 1999, year 2000, and you'll know that there weren't even any deaths. There was a kind of a unusual complication called intussusception and that's just uh, a word for a, a minor complication where a, a toddler's gut will telescope on itself. And it's easily treatable. If left mm-hmm. undiagnosed, it, it can be bad. But um, there were only a dozen or so of those. And the vaccine was immediately ripped off the market. And, and you know, John, subsequent studies showed that the vaccination had nothing to do with those cases. And yet it still took five years, John for that vaccine to get back on the market. Wow. Now you asked me before another, the second part of your question, I'm mm-hmm. sorry, I'm so blown, blown off. So, so much hot air on your program, but I, I am angry. That's, that, that's why I wanted to have you on because I knew that you were going to, I mean, you're speaking from the heart and you're speaking the uh, truth. So I, I'm angry. I, I'm angry. I'm outraged at what's going on. I'm outraged that the executive director Dr. George Mengel or, or Dr. George Mendel is killing all of these innocent fetuses, causing malformations in all these innocent fetuses, causing chronic diseases and deaths in all of these uh, offspring of these children. Dr. George Wendell, you are responsible for this. Nobody but you. I've sent you two letters and you've done nothing. You couldn't even refute my data, Dr. Wendell. You refuse to have a discourse with me. You refuse to even debate me. Who, who is who is Dr. George Wendell? Dr. George Wendell is the executive director of the American Board of Obstetrics and Gynecology. All he does is threaten me in response to my extraordinarily academic articles, uh, sending him over 1,018 peer-reviewed publications documenting death and carnage and complication from this death jab. And he has the audacity 
to threaten obstetricians with their livelihoods if they don't push the vaccine in pregnancy. We need a Nuremberg trial. This goes beyond civil litigation. This is crimes against humanity. It, it, seem, it seems that maybe a lot of OBGYNs are not following uh, or, not, or not being coerced into recommending the vaccine because I th- maybe I'm wrong here. You probably know the correct numbers, but I think I saw recently that only 40, I mean, for 41% is way too high, but 41% of uh, pregnant women have been vaccinated. The, um, to your point, um, I, I didn't know it was that much and you're, you're upsetting me even more now. Okay. I, I, we have about a million births in the United States a year. I was estimating that only about 300,000 pregnant women have been vaccinated. Now you're telling me 400,000. Now you're really getting me fired up. Okay. Um, And to your point, that has nothing to do with the threats. Um, Just because there's a lot of patients that have a lot of common sense that know that you don't ever take anything in pregnancy, especially unless it's been proven. So yes, the American Board of OBGYN is threatening every single 22,000 plus OBGYN subspecialists uh, and spe- uh, specialists like myself across the country. We will destroy you, your career, your livelihood, and your family if you don't toe the line of our false narrative. It's in writing. Go to their website, um, abog.org. And it's, it gets much worse than that, John. They take their marching orders from the Amer- American Board of Medical Specialties, ABMS. And ABMS is in control of all, oh, there's 25 or so boards. ABOG, American Board of OBGYN is one of them, but there's uh, 25 others, American Board of Surgery, American Board of Pediatrics, American Board of yada, 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 yada. Mm-hmm. But in each of those boards, there's multiple subspecialty uh, certifications as well. So between specialties and subspecialties, there's probably 150 uh, different categories of board certification, um, 150. And uh, American Board of Medical Specialties, basically, along with all those boards, simultaneously came down with the exact same language this past September. Literally, it, it was like an echo chamber. If you spread misinformation regarding COVID-19, you will be subject to harsh sanctions. Read it. It's in every single one of them. It's like a litany of these fake Jake people, uh, you know, who I'm talking about on news outlets and the rest of them, they get their 5 a.m. talking points and literally simultaneously at the exact same time, they're using the exact same language and the exact same words on your news for the day. This is what medicine has come down to. So added to that, it gets even worse. It just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. So these are all private facilities, John, the um, American Board of Medical Specialties and all the 150 jurisdictions they have. Those are private organizations. I mean, good gracious, I can start the Jim Thorpe board of whatever I wanted to. You know, they're private organizations, whatever. But they don't, they have teeth and they can rip away the credentials 
but the licensure is totally separate. So the Federation of State Medical Boards, in essence, has jurisdiction over every 50 state medical board. They came out with the exact same language, the exact same language. So there's physicians that have lost their licenses all over the country as I've been threatened. So, so, so they, they've threatened to take your license away? Uh, they, uh, the American Board of OBGYN has threatened twice to uh, decredential me. Nobody's come after me for my license yet, but that's only a matter of time because I prescribe so much uh, ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine all over this country from coast to coast and southern border to northern border than you could shake a stick at. So I'm, I'm shocked that nobody's come against me. But yeah, you look at Dr. Ryan Cole, uh, and, and other experts. And yeah, their license boards are coming after them. Um, fortunately, the um, Florida, as you know, we have a pretty good, uh, the state license boards is a jurisdiction of the government, the state government. So, um, you know, as you know, our governor and uh, Dr. Ladapa is the mm-hmm. Surgeon General. Um, uh, Dr. Uh, is it, uh, Dr. Ladapa is a great guy. And, and I think that um, they're on the same wavelength as I am. They just can't say it. I don't think that the Florida Board of Medicine uh, would have the cojones to come after me. Um, and if they do, then I, I've got a lot of friends in powerful places who could chop them up to chicken liver. Um, you know, Thomas Renz, um, you know him, and, uh, you know, Jeff Childers. These are attorneys that uh, I, I don't think that they're going to stand for if they um, – if they come after me, especially after the data that I've exposed, uh, it, it would make them look really, really bad if they do that. But hey, bring it down. I'm willing to die on this hill. I am. Um, I will continue to be a voice of truth in the midst of lies and deception and mass formation psychoses. I will continue to be a light in the presence of dark deception. Um, so it even gets worse. The American Association of Colleges of Nurses came out with the exact same statement. So, John, for your patients, uh, I, I'm sorry, um, your viewers out there, mm-hmm. you, this? you can call them my patients. They're sort of like my patients. You're your, your patients. <laughs> you know, and, and this is truth. I, you can't trust me. Or you can't trust any other physician or nurse or healthcare worker in the United States of America because this joke, this tyrannical, despotic narrative of destroying our careers, if we go against the narrative, um, we are under a gag order. So you can't trust us anymore. You can't trust any hospital. You can't trust any physician. You can't trust any nurse. Um, and, and, and that's that's the most damaging. I mean, the vaccine itself, the the destruction it is causing is one aspect. But you bring up a great point. I mean, the the lack of trust in uh, b- between doctors and patients, the lack of trust just just with science in general, and of course the lack of trust with these pharmaceutical companies. Now it, it's all it's all gone. I mean, th- there's none left. Zero. And, and, and that's sad. I mean, that's sad because there's great things, obviously, that come out of our medical communities that are transforming and saving lives. John, you're absolutely right. Uh, but, you know, I, 
I know so many patients. I have patients willing to drive all over the country to come down under my care. The, you are watching the dismantling, the collapse of the healthcare system. You know, these hospital systems, um, you know, Jeff Childers, um, and I'm under a gag order and I can't mention the institution, but Jeff Childers uh, did uh, a um, inquiry and it's a matter of public record you know, these quote, not-for-profit organization hospitals, uh, uh, don't don't be deceived by that. That's a joke. What they it use, is. Uh, they transfer their assets, their profit to another corporation. So they have these massive trusts. Well, this one, just, just one hospital system, Jeff Childers in his uh, searching public records received uh, somewhere in the range of two to four billion dollars of aid from the federal government. Why? Wow. So that they could kill people and use remdesivir and uh, ablate the narrative of people like me that had literally a 99% success of treating COVID as an outpatient. We were mocked, derided, threatened, and censored. Yet had they listened to us, you know, the, the Simon uh, Simone Golds, the frontline physicians, Pierre Corey, uh, McCullough, Dr. Peter A. McCullough. Um, you can go on and on, Dr. Zev Zelenko. I mean, we all have the same story. We all have the same. The, the, treating COVID is like really, really easy to do as an outpatient. And the reason why they squelched us, John, one reason, they were all safe and repurposed drugs and they wanted to make trillions off the fake vaccine and they wanted to kill a lot of people. These people that become power hungry, wealthy and rich, they become drunk on killing people and, and power. That's what they do and that's what they've done. They push the narrative. Um, you know, you take a, a, a hero, a, a, Bill Kerr, uh, Steve Kirsch, he's not even a doctor. Um, he's, a, this, is, this is a guy out. In, That's where I first saw you on, uh, on Steve, with Steve interviewing you. Oh, is that right? I mean, yeah. talk about a hero. I mean, you talk about a guy that if, if you talk about the red pill, blue pill, I mean, you're talking about somebody in Silicon Valley that was a gazillionaire running a tech yeah. country company. And, and he had to step down from his own company because his stance was hurting the profit margin. Um, and as I guess his shareholders, I don't know if it was publicly traded or not, but what a hero. He got vaccinated. And this is a true hero, Steve Kirsch. I mean, this guy has put up a million dollars to debate anybody in the world. And let me tell you something, he can do it. You don't have to be a doctor. You don't have to be a nurse. You just have to use common sense and follow the corruption. Um, so Steve Kirsch, he offers a million dollars to anybody who will debate him. I've been offered, I don't have that kind of money, but I've been offered to debate anybody in the American Board of OBGYN, anybody in the obstetric community, anybody in the world for over a year. When I challenge people with data, all they can do is project ad hominem attacks on me and threaten me like George Wendell did, George Mengel, or George Wendell, I keep confusing that name, George Wendell did at the American Board of OBGYN um, and, and threatens me with my livelihood because I'm going against their narrative. 
And I'm holding uh, George Wendell personally responsible for killing all and maiming all these fetuses and these children. That makes me angry. It should make everybody angry. Um, so, so what I've heard different things on what makes this vaccine so much more dangerous. And it seems some people it doesn't really affect at all in, in a negative way. Um, I've, I've heard it's, it's either the, uh, you know, the MRA, uh, you know, technology itself, or it does, even if it wasn't mRNA, just the, the spike protein itself of, of the virus and the spike protein, you know, with, I, as I understand with vaccines normally, you know, they're going to stay localized in the injection point, but with, with this vaccine, you're injected and it goes to your organs. It, it goes everywhere. I think you're absolutely right, John. Um, and when you get a shot of this vaccine in your deltoid muscle here, um, some of it stays there locally, but the vast majority of it, I'm talking about 80% or more, the, the injection is comprised of lipo nanoparticles, LMPs, and these are extraordinarily small particles and they are a fat-soluble membrane, and within that membrane, it carries the uh, deadly mRNA cargo. Now, this is such a small particle, and it's so lipophilic, meaning fat-soluble, that every God-made barrier, protective barrier in the human body is lost. So there's a, God made a really, really important blood-brain barrier, it crosses right into every single neuron in the brain. Uh, it crosses, passes right through the blood-brain barrier. God made a placental barrier to protect fetuses. It crosses right through the placental barrier. God made a blood-brain barrier in the fetal brain. It crosses right through to every cell in the fetal brain. It, um, we know from studies that it actually, these LMPs concentrate in ovaries. And I've heard- The, the uh, NIH did a study, right? Or is that one of the studies that- That's one of the studies. studies. And it, autopsy studies and animal studies uh, and human studies show that it concentrates in ovaries. Well, what's the big deal about that? You say, so what? Well, here's the big deal about that. You know, like Robert Malone says, uh, I've heard him on several occasions, people ask him questions saying, what is it about this hoax, about this deadly vaccine that keeps you up sweating at night? You know, his answer is reproductive failure. It concentrates in the ovaries. And see, let's start, you know, for your viewers, um, when, when our body makes gametes, okay, and I'm using a big word there, but these are either sperm in the male testes, uh, and they only have 23 chromosomes. And when they meet up, they 23 plus 23 equal 46. Well, you know, the testes, um, your testes, my testes, every male's testes, um, they continually make sperm your whole life. Not so with female. With a female, the ovaries um, only contain, you know, you know, each ejaculation, there's, you know, billions of sperm. Well, not so with a woman. In um, in a woman, there are only about one million ovum that they're born with before they're born. There's only one million ovum. So think about that. 
Think about that carefully. Mm. One million ovum, uh, um, a child or a fetus female gets exposed to these lipo na uh, nanoparticles. They concentrate next to all those ovum and every single one of those ovum, the only ovum, million ovum that that um, female will have for the rest of her life are all totally exposed to potential disastrous consequences of mRNA and um, the uh, lipid nanoparticle. So it's a, it's, it's a very, very dangerous and concerning issue. And, you know, I've been speaking in front of um, my uh, Jewish brothers and sisters whom I love, um, Hasidic uh, communities um, in New York City and um, such. And um, it, as unusual as that sounds to um, us Goyas, um, we, um, the Hasidic rabbis, they keep track of menstrual cycle um, yeah. For reasons that that you know, I, I don't want to go into, but it's just part of their. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's religious reason, reasons. If you read the Old Testament of the Bible, it, it explains it. But but yeah, it's 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 their religion. Right. So yeah, so they know that this vaccine causes a massive disruption in menstrual cycles, mm -hmm. and it causes a massive disruption in ovulation. What? Why is that? Well, we can speculate on why that is um, until the cows come home, but. You know, one good guess is the fact that it this lipo nanoparticle concentrates in the ovaries. So there's an inflammatory process in the ovaries. And if the ovaries have an inflammatory process, you're not going to ovulate. Ovulation is an incredibly complicated orchestrate, orchestrated event by um, God, our creator, mm -hmm. um, who created us. And he created, it's such an incredible uh, complicated between the hypothalamus in the brain, the pituitary in the brain, the thyroid, the adrenal glands, and the ovaries. Uh, and, and then, of course, there's the endometrium. So at any one point between that complicated circuitry that uh, our divine creator made, um, uh, as Jeremiah the prophet says, and um, in the verses that he created us all uniquely in the womb. He met us together in the womb. So, uh, so when we interrupt that cycle, then you have menstrual abnormalities and that's what's going on. And, you know, talking heads will come on and, you know, my colleagues will say, Oh, it's no big deal. You know, having an irregular menstrual period. I mean, our, our patients have that all the time and it's just a non, uh, it's a non sequitur. It's a it's a non entity. It's uh, as some would say, uh, it's a big nothing burger. Well, you know, I, I agree with them in general that most uh, unrelated to the vaccine menstrual irregularities are not a big deal. But ah, in the vaccinated, it's a huge big deal because what that signals is a very disastrous potential complication of the vaccine um, causing and interrupting uh, the ovum and the ovulatory function of the ovaries. So it is a huge big deal. I, I'm curious about a point related to that. And I, I've seen this experienced with, uh, with women um, in my life, and they're just they're, they're, they're sharing this with me, that just by 
them themselves not being vaccinated, but just being around vaccinated people will change their cycles. It, but what, what the heck is happening there? That's a great question. There's more and more and more emerging data. You know, I, I, I've had experts, um, and, and I, I don't want to divulge any names um, because I don't want to compromise, you know, my sources. But I had experts two years ago uh, at, at very, very, very high levels in Washington. I won't even tell you which agency saying this was designed to kill people in the long term. And it was designed to kill people in a manner which will never be traced back to the vaccination. And I, I say that because now the data that I, I thought, you know, that's crazy. I, I, I didn't believe it two years ago. But now I see all, all the emerging data from many, many, many people, um, including my wife, um, and, and who have not been vaccinated, but are around people that are massively shedding spike protein and get a massive dose of spike protein, and they get very, very similar illnesses to COVID-19. So that's a real phenomenon. So the menstrual issues around people that are vaccinated, I believe that. Um, there's part of the uh, mRNA, the, uh, there's even some suggestion that the, the actual entire LMP could be shed and be ingested and people auto-inoculated. When uh, you say LM, LMP, what, what, is, what does that mean? Lipo nanoparticle, the the lipid nanoparticle. The so just particle. to follow that along, are you saying it's possible that someone who's not vaccinated with a needle could become vaccinated by being around vaccinated people? That's a a, a theory. I mean, I'm not saying you're saying that's proven, but that's possible. Um, and and if you look at um, did did you watch any of the Clay Clark event? Last week, um, I'm not thinking familiar with that. No, it was a uh, it was down in Phoenix, and it was last week. It was a big meeting, and, and uh, Clay Clark does an incredible job. And he had um, a lady that presented there that that um, her name is Karen Kingston, and John, I, I'm telling you, her presentation is absolutely stunning. I I have watched her it over and over and over, and it is absolutely stunning. Uh, her revelation of data, um, and and it's much of what you just stated, um, that in fact the human to human transmission, according to Karen Kingston, uh, is really minuscule. Um, what the way that it's spread is, and the research was done, and I can't vouch for the veracity of her allegations but it's very interesting, is that the way that the animal reservoir was infected was by micro droplets of mist around the bat caves. That, so um, she draws that whole parallel to the fact that this, she alleges uh, and presents some pretty interesting data that there could be mass inoculation just by misters that come on and off and just substitute an office building for a bat cave or substitute uh, a railroad car 
uh, or a train station or a subway station for the Batcave and the misters that they use to transmit the uh, lipid nanoparticles. I mean, that that certainly makes you you wonder because when you think back on this pandemic and you look at just like how certain areas got hit very hard, like early on New York City was crushed and a lot of the rest of the country really didn't have much of an impact. It, it, yeah, it makes you wonder if there, this wasn't some, some bioweapon in, in some way. I, I, I can vouch for the veracity. I've had so many patients now, uh, like my wife uh, and many, many, many others who are absolutely anti-vax, who all of a sudden come in contact. And I can't mention names, but there, there's an entire family up in Tennessee of which are um, well-known people. And, and they're out in the middle of nowhere. And the father-in-law um, had some kidney issues. And so they were scared to death to take him to the hospital. But the whole family went in and was exposed to people in the hospital. They all got deathly ill, almost died. And, and um, they refused to go to the hospital. So they all drove down here and, and we took care of them locally. Uh, but you know, none of them were vaccinated yet. They all got extremely ill when they came around all those care providers in the hospital. Um, and, and there was no other explanation for their illness. And the same goes to my, for my wife, you know, my wife and I are, um, there are certain, there's so many different com- genetic components. God made each of us. We each have a unique fingerprint and our, we all have our own unique body uh, metabolism and sensitivity, and you can break them down into those who respond and those who don't. And and I can give you example after example after example. But I'm I'm a non-responder. I mean I I I can take whatever and I don't really respond to it. Whereas my wife, she can smell things 10,000 times more powerfully than I can. She can feel a drug when she takes it. I, I used to think she was crazy, but you know, she uh, uh, was in a car taking her daughter who was vaccinated from Gainesville up to Philadelphia um, and um, being in there. And then she stopped on the way back in North Carolina amongst it, it kind of a spiritual retreat in uh, Asheville, North Carolina. And she was around a bunch of uh, elderly people who were all vaccinated. And I can tell you that she became extraordinarily ill. She never tested positive, nor did the family. But those are just people that I know of. And now there's incredible data like Karen Kingston coming out and saying, you know, it, it's it's really the same. The only, the, the benefit, we treat it the same, um, but the benefit uh, of at least being exposed to the spike protein as you you may not have the amount of inoculation in your body as you do with the actual injection. Right. It is a bio. Hopefully. Yeah. So, so we're running out of, out of time, Dr. Thorpe. And I, I mean, really thankful for you being so generous with your time today, but I just wanted to ask you um, really just, just an open-ended question here. Is there anything that I didn't ask you about or anything really important uh, that my audience should know about that you'll you'd like to add. I I would say that it um, my email is j a t h o r p at bellsouth.net. I'm a busy clinician. I, I really don't have a website or anything like that. I, I don't have time for that. But 
you know, if you've had an adverse outcome in pregnancy and you think it was related to vaccine or uh, in your child that you were vaccinated during pregnancy, I'd really like to hear from you about it. And um, for those of you who are as outraged as I am about the American Board of Obstetrics and Gynecology killing fetuses, injuring fetuses, maiming fetuses, and causing chronic diseases in the offspring, please drop him an email. His email is G, as in George, last name Wendell, W-E-N-D-E-L, at A-B-O-G dot org. Um, don't tell him I told you to uh, email him. But if you want to stop this mass killing of the innocent, most innocent and vulnerable members of our society, um, please let him know. And uh, let's keep the heat on him. I want the American Board of OBGYN to do two things. Number one, retract their unethical, illegal, immoral, unconscionable, unconstitutional mandate and gag orders on obstetricians, uh, forcing them to push this poison in pregnancy. Um, and, and number two, I want them to come out and state, we do not recommend the vaccine in pregnancy until there are prospective randomized trials with long-term outcome of the fetus of the children. I'll just say one more thing, but it's just it just struck me there when you said that. It's so amazing that so disgusting that they're recommending a vaccine for pregnant women, obviously affecting the fetuses, when this vaccine hasn't even been approved for children under five. I mean, there's it's it's absurd, completely absurd. It's so horrible. And and you know, I I don't want to go on and on, but a couple of more important points, you know. The Nuremberg Code is adopted by the NIH and it's the CDC. It's on their website. Go look at it. Just Google it. Now, do it. You go on DuckDuckGo, but you Google it and the Nuremberg Code, and that is the ethic, the ethical conscience and barometer of research in humans. There are 10 commandments in the Nuremberg Code. Every single flipping one of them are completely broken and violated, every single one of them by the American Board of Obstetrics and Gynecology. And you know, I think of um, Dr. Josef Mengel, you know, Hitler's um, doctor that did all the experimentation on human beings in the 1930s and 1940s. Honestly, I mean, I think the American Board of OBGYN is worse than Yosef Mengel. I really do. Well, I mean, that, that's quite a statement, but I can't say I disagree with it. Um, Dr. Thorpe, thank you so much for your time. And uh, maybe we'll talk again soon here, hopefully under better circumstances and, and things have changed somewhat by then. I hope so. Thank you very much for having me on your show. Hey, I want to tell you about the Daniel 3 Biblical Anarchy Podcast with Jacob Winograd. It's an ongoing evaluation on how a Christian should view the state and human authority, as well as diving into the principles of libertarianism. On the podcast, he explores the entanglements between the church and the state in order to bring Christians and the church back to practicing the mantra of no king but Christ. Episodes about philosophy, anarchism, politics, economics, 
And of course, very interesting guests. Please check it out, the Daniel 3 Biblical Anarchy Podcast with Jacob Winograd. Thank you for listening to today's episode with Dr. James Thorpe. And man, if that, if the information that he brought, the passion, the passion for truth that he brings to the table, if that doesn't get you fired up and excited to fight back against the corruption and outright evil that we are facing um, from the government, from healthcare providers, from pharmaceutical companies, the whole gamut. If that doesn't get you fired up, then nothing will. Just stop listening to this podcast, honestly. If you're not fired up now, find a new podcast. But if you are fired up, please double down and uh, help me out and, and help the fellow Lions of Liberty contributors as well. Um, of course, you can subscribe to this show. One of two ways you can subscribe on the Lions of Liberty Network feed. And uh, that, of course, is going to include Mark's show on Mondays and Brian's show on Wednesdays. Or you can subscribe to the Finding Freedom solo feed, um, which is just going to be me. It's going to be this show every Thursday. Plus, you get a little bonus. And if you're new, this is a a real treat for you. Because every Tuesday, I do a Finding Freedom Rewind, where I bring one of uh, the, the greatest, most popular uh, episodes out of the archives from way back in Felony Friday stuff as well, and uh, publish it on Tuesdays. And this past Tuesday, I had one of my all-time favorite guests that, that, that I uh, republished, Jason Spires. If you haven't heard this guy's story, totally incredible. He was sentenced to 30 years for selling pot, did 15. As soon as he got out of prison, started working two jobs, he got into Stanford. I think he's graduated from Stanford at this point, but not the time of the interview. Incredible story. Check it out. Finding Freedom Solo Feed. Subscribe to it now so you don't miss those episodes. And it's great to share episodes like that with your friends who might not be, you know, fully on the Liberty train, you know, fully on the the Freedom bandwagon. You can kind of ease them into it with an episode of Injustice where they see that and they see the response to it. It's a great way to do some reach out. It's uh, just one more thing. I'm just going to remind you, if you'd like to support the Lions of Liberty even more so, you can always do that by going to patreon.com slash lionsofliberty or lionsofliberty.locals.com. And there you can get access to all of our bonus content, discounts on merchandise, all kinds of other perks and, uh, and things of that nature. So check it out. And thank you again for listening. Hope everyone has a great uh, end of the week here and a great weekend. And I'll see you all next week. Always remember to keep your head up and the fire is liberty burning. <laughs>